Let's go ahead and go before the Lord in prayer as we continue our worship. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are here. We don't have to ask you to be here. You are here. But sometimes, Lord, we're not sensitive to your presence. So we pray that you would help us to be sensitive. We do pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. Uh, We pray, Lord, to be open to your word, even if it makes our 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 flesh just crawl that's what we want lord we want that new nature you put within us to shine forth and we want that old nature that sin nature to remain as it is in christ which is dead we pray father for every servant on this campus we pray father that you will empower that person lord all of your servants to to serve in your love to serve in your joy, and that you would be glorified in every classroom on this campus tonight. We love you. We thank you. I do pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Romans chapter 12 tonight. Two verses this time. So that doesn't always equal how how long the teaching is going to be. It doesn't always, you know, translate. Yeah, (laughs) because there's some good stuff here. Now, so far, we've been learning about a lot of topics. We've been learning about a lot of doctrines or teachings to help form our theology. And theology are are topics that that deal with God. Now, when you talk about theology proper, theology proper is only about God himself, but Theology in general, or when we talk about systematic theology, these are all of the topics, the doctrines that you find in the Bible. And so we've been seeing a lot of topics, a lot of doctrines so far in the first 11 chapters of the letter to the Romans. So we've learned quite a bit about God. We learned about the sinful nature of humans. We've learned about sin. We've learned about the guilt of mankind we've also learned about salvation we learned for example how to be saved and we learned that it is available to all speaking of salvation we've also learned about the holy spirit we've learned a very important truth that we cannot as believers be separated from the love of god so we've learned a lot about all god has done and has made available to us as believers in Christ. In fact, we've even learned in the first 11 chapters about Israel's past, present, and future. And in learning about their past, present, and future, we've learned about God's faithfulness as seen in him not erasing Israel from his plan. Now, tonight we're going to see or receive an exhortation, uh, an encouragement from the Holy Spirit through Paul to now that you learn all of these doctrines. Now that you've learned all of these theological topics, now we're going to see in chapter 12 of Romans, now it's time to put those things into practice, put to practice what you've learned. And so again, we go from doctrine 
to practice, from doctrine to application. And to tell you the truth, that's that's really should be the goal of every Bible reading. It should be the goal of every Bible study to go from the information, to go from theology to practice in our lives. But but we don't have to do it on our own. Praise God. We have the Holy Spirit who indwells us. He doesn't force us to do anything. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but we must surrender. We have power living within us. As I explained to a, a few people, it's like in our homes, we, we, we pay the electric bill. And so we have power active in our homes. But some people don't take advantage of that power, the power that they paid for. Because they have some devices that they are not plugging in. And spiritually for us, we have the Holy Spirit. We have power ready for us to tap into. But we're not surrendering. We're not plugging in and allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way. And so he's the one who helps us to go from doctrine to practice. And so in verse 1 in Romans 12, we, we see the exhortation. It says, I beseech I beg you or urge you, therefore, brethren, speaking to believers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies or dedicate your whole self, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so we as believers are encouraged to present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice. Now, what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice uh, denotes the act of offering or giving. It's an act of offering to a God. And here we're speaking about the God of the Bible. So we offer to God something precious. That's what sacrifice hints at or denotes. And as we see in that scripture in verse 1, There are some characteristics about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. The first thing we see about presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice is that it is a willing act. It is a willing act on our part as seen in the word present. In other words, give. Again, God doesn't force the issue. He doesn't force us to present our bodies to him a living sacrifice. But another thing that a sacrifice shows us or another characteristic of a living sacrifice is that a sacrifice is something that is valuable. In other words, it costs something. And to prove that point, I want to bring up a man from the Old Testament. His name is King David because there's a situation in in, in second Samuel and also in first Chronicles uh, chapter 21 with King David, David numbering the people of Israel and Judah. And he did this against the advice of his commander and also the captains of the army. It was something that he did without consulting with God. And so It seems as though he was acting out of pride to number the people. And as a result of this, 
As we see in the scriptures, it says that the Lord sent the plague upon Israel, upon the nation. And he sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. Now, as this angel was destroying Jerusalem, God stepped in and he and he stopped the angel. Now, at the time he stopped the angel, the angel was at the threshing floor of Arauna. And in First Chronicles 21, you'll see that Arauna's name is also Ornan. And so it's referring to the same person. And so this angel stopped there. He had his sword out, ready to strike. God told him to hold on. David saw this angel. He was hovering in the air between heaven and earth, the scriptures tell us. And so this prophet, Gad, ends up coming to David. And this prophet tells him, hey, you need to offer a sacrifice there. In other words, you need, you need to build an altar on that threshing floor that belongs to Ornan or Arauna. And so David listens to the prophet Gad, who gets a word from God to share this message with David. And so as David is approaching Arauna, about to ask him and, and pay for that threshing floor, Arauna sees him like, hey, king, what's going on? And David's like, I want to buy this threshing floor from you. I want to build an altar for the purpose, of course, of sacrifices so that the plague will be removed from the people of Israel. And so around on Orna or Ornan, he told David, hey, you could take whatever you want. In fact, I'll give you this threshing floor for free. So take it, King David. Also, I have some oxen. You can use them for the sacrifices. On top of that, I have some some other materials here. You can use this for the fire to to burn the sacrifices. And there's something that King David says that really stands out. King David says, because remember, this stuff was offered to him for free. But but he says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. And so that that speaks to our again, our second characteristics of of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. That is something valuable. It's something that costs us something valuable. And I wonder, have we been offering to God something that's an actual sacrifice that costs us something? If somebody is a millionaire and they give a hundred dollars, that's a, that hundred dollars a lot for some people. But for the millionaire, it's not really a sacrifice. It doesn't really cost them anything. And that's just an example. No guilt or condemnation behind that. That's giving is between you and the Lord. But that's just an example. Or how about somebody who's who's doing good works? A person could do good works. They can give a lot of things, give a lot of their time, but not really offering themselves wholly as a sacrifice to the Lord. They're just going through the motions, but the Lord really doesn't have all of them. So it's a sacrifice that costs them nothing. Another characteristic of uh, of a living sacrifice is in the key word there, if you haven't missed it. And the key word is living It's not a dead sacrifice he's asking for. It's not asking us to kill ourselves. Not literally, not physically, but he says be a living sacrifice. And as a living sacrifice, our bodies are to be holy. In other words, set apart for God. 
And so as a living sacrifice, we're not literally dead, but something dies. What, what dies is our pride. In other words, we, we die to ourselves, but now we are alive to him and to his ways and to his will. And so, yes, literally, we are a living sacrifice. But, yeah, that pride has, has died. And we're alive to him. Lord, what do you want me to do? In our bodies as a living sacrifice that's set apart to him, that's holy to him. Another thing you'll see in verse 1 of Romans 12 is that that is acceptable to God. Now, this brings to mind burnt offering. So some of you may be reading Leviticus or if you read it before, you may think that there's nothing in there. But I assure you, focus on that burnt sacrifice, because what comes to my mind as I was doing this study and praying about it, what comes to mind as we are encouraged, exhorted, begged by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him, our bodies as a living sacrifice that that burnt offering came to mind. And some people in the Old Testament, if you read Leviticus, you'll see that people could give a burnt offering of their own free will. In other words, it was voluntary. And so they would bring the animal from the herd. So in other words, it could be cattle, it could be oxen, or they could bring it from the flock, sheep, goats, for example. Or if they couldn't even afford that, they could bring a turtle dove or a pigeon. And so God made provision for people of different socioeconomic statuses. If they wanted to worship God by giving a burnt offering, they could. God made a way for that. He made provision for it. But in the burnt offering, the interesting thing is that the entire animal was burnt. There was no sharing a part of it with the priest. There was no sharing a part of it with the person who was offering it. No, the entire sacrifice was consumed by the fire of the altar. And what, it was, what was it a picture of? That burnt offering was a picture of our lives being totally consumed by, by God. It was, it was a life that was totally dedicated or consecrated to God. And this is what's being asked of us here to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, all of us, as if we were a burnt offering. And notice that that offering is a whole is holy and acceptable to God. In other words, it is is it, it is a sweet aroma. It is a pleasing aroma to him. So have you surrendered your bodies to God for his use as a living sacrifice? Because if it is, then yes, that is set up a life that is set apart to God. And that is a life that is a sweet smell to him that he is pleased with, that he is he has accepted. But why should we? Why should we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the God of the Bible? The scriptures tell us that the end of that first verse is that it is our reasonable service. And the word reasonable comes from the Greek word logikos. And it means pertaining to the reason or logic. And instead of reasonable service, some translations say true worship, spiritual worship, or it is the logical way to worship. And all of those uh, translations make a good point. It is reasonable service. 
the right way to worship him by offering all of us, our bodies, to him for his use as a living sacrifice. Another reason to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God is because he has done so much for us. And that is indicated with that phrase where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in verse one. Notice that he says, by the mercies of God. In other words, he's saying in view of God's mercy. In other words, he's saying we've seen all of this stuff, all of these things God has done for us in the first 11 chapters. So in view of his mercy, in view of how good God has been to us. That's the least you can do is present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And I like what it says in, in Psalm 116, verse 12. It says, what shall I render? What shall I offer or repay to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? And tonight we find an answer to that question. The answer to that question is to give God all of you and to allow him to have his way in and through our whole being. Now, there is something else to consider before we dismiss this exhortation, because some people may have some type of contradiction in their mind or some aversion in their mind. I don't belong to anybody. Why should I? I, I those points, they may sound good and fine and dandy for some folks, but but not for me. But again, there's something else to consider with this exhortation. And that's found in first Corinthians 620, because it says for you were bought at a price. We were bought at a price. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. The creator, if you read John chapter one, we were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God, honor God in your body and in your spirit. So don't just honor him physically, but honor him spiritually. You know, Jesus told the Samaritan woman that we worship God, that true worship is in spirit and in truth. And so not just physically. But here, as we see in 1 Corinthians 6.20, but spiritually as well. And it says, which are God's? We belong to God. We were created by him. And then when we were sold into slavery to sin, on top of creating us, he purchased us. So all the way around, no matter how we look at it, we belong to him. And that is something else to consider before we dismiss what it says in verse one to present our bodies a living sacrifice. But I wonder how much could God accomplish through us? If we would listen, if we would obey that exhortation, that urging, if we would obey it, presenting our bodies to him. How much could he do through us? And for that, I look at the life of Jesus and Obviously, we, we won't be on his level. He's God in the flesh, fully man, fully God. Hebrews 10 verses five through seven, it says, therefore, 
when he, that is Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. And that's because some folks were were going through the motions. They were offering the, these sacrifices, these burnt offerings and so forth, these peace offerings. But their heart really wasn't in it. And so God had no pleasure in those. And then I said, says Jesus, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O oh, oh God. What is the volume of the book? It's what we call the Old Testament. Those were the only scriptures they had at that time. And so don't dismiss reading the entire Bible, including the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. Jesus even said as much. He gave us a hint. He said, in them. You think you have life, but they are they that testify of me. And also after his resurrection, as he was walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he taught them about himself from what? From the Old Testament. And so don't dismiss those scriptures. And so Jesus says in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do what? To do your will, O God. So here's the point I want to make from that. Looking at Jesus as an example is that Jesus used his body. The body that was given to him by God the Father, he used it to please the Father and to be a blessing to many. To those of us who are in this room. And, and that blessing is available to all. But only those who repent and receive Jesus Christ into our lives. Only will uh, enjoy and experience the blessings of him using his body on that cross. He stayed there on that cross. He could have come down, but he stayed there because of the joy that was set before him. As it tells us in Hebrews, he knew that, yes, there's suffering right now. There's pain right now. There is death that is coming ahead. But I have joy before me because he knew he would be resurrected, that that he would be at the right hand of the father making intercession for the believers, but also he knew that he would also gain an entire family, also called the bride of Christ. And so he used his body to do something good. And the question is, what about us? Yes, Jesus does set the bar high, but he but he sets a good example for us to use our bodies to glorify God and to be a blessing to other people as we open ourselves to be a vehicle of God's blessings to others. In verse 2 it says. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed. Or continuously transformed. It's a process. By what? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove. What is that good and acceptable. And perfect will of God. So in addition to be. To being encouraged. To being exhorted. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are also here in verse 2 commanded to not be conformed to this world. And conformed comes from a Greek word that means to conform oneself. That is one's mind and character to another's pattern. In other words, it is fashioning ourself according to the world. 
And I like one translation that talk, talks about us not allowing ourselves to be molded by the ways, by the mindset, the, the characteristics of the world. And the thing about a life that is conformed, that is fashioned by this world, this, this world system that doesn't want anything to do with God, a life that is conformed to this world, this world system, is a life that actually reflects that that person's body, that that person's whole being is not presented to God as a living sacrifice. How can it be when you and your behavior and, and mindset are being conformed, shaped by this world system? And the scriptures tell us, and I mentioned it before, that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. In other words, that it's influenced by the devil. A world system that doesn't want anything to do with God. Is that what we want to fit into? And the question is, how do we know if we're being conformed to this world system? This world system that says no to God. How do we know? The question is, and this is the first one. Do you find yourself justifying the ways of the world? Well, they do have a point. Well, that, that, that does make more sense than what I read in the Bible. Do we find ourselves doing that? Well, they said this, the world said this, and I kind of feel like that's okay. The key word feel, it's not based on feelings. Feelings change. We're talking about something that's solid, rock solid, based on the truth, the word of God. But do we find ourselves justifying the ways of the world? Or do we find ourselves using worldly thought processes instead of using the world of God, the word of God to shape our worldview? Are we doing that? Do we find ourselves doing what the world does? Matter of fact, and this put the icing on the cake. Whether or not we're conforming to the world is would the world be surprised to find out that you're a Christian. They came to your memorial service and some people got up here and, and started sharing and say, yeah, they were a God fearing Christian. Would people from the world look around and be like, what, him, her? Would they be surprised by that? But instead of being conformed to this world, I like how God gives us a better option. So instead of being conformed, that is to this world, we are to be what? Transform. And this word transform comes from a Greek word. And that Greek word means to change into another form. To transform, to transfigure. The Greek word behind this word here, transform, in verse 2, is actually the same Greek word that is behind transfigured when Jesus was transfigured on the mount. When his inner glory, what was on the inside of him, became to shine through his human body. And he became transfigured. And so that same Greek word is there. Metamorpho. And it almost sounds like our English word, metamorphosis. Be transformed. And today, of course, we know that we, we live at a time when, when people love to see transformation in one way or another. 
People watch certain shows because they like to see houses transformed. They like to see fixer upper and my wife loves to see that. She likes to get ideas, so I'm not knocking that. But, but people love to see transform houses. People will love to see their financial situation transform. People will love to see bad habits transformed into good habits. That's why people make these New Year resolutions every year. But the fact is that some people have uh, attempted to live a whole new life by changing the way they look on the outside. So some people think they're going to change their lives, that everything's going to be better for them if they are to transform or were to transform their outward or physical appearance. And that could be some people trying to change from a man to a woman or woman to a man. But that's only outward or Maybe I've even seen this. There's some people who want to look more muscular. And so they inject silicon or, or, or something into their biceps and their bi- one bicep is bigger than the other. Look like two water balloons trying to I don't know what it's trying to do. But they look in the mirror and they think that looks good. But they need a good <laughs> they need a good friend to say, <laughs> don't do that. But but some people, they do try to change their physical appearance because they want a new life. They, they think that's going to fix everything in their lives. And the sad things, just to go, go back to that one point, because it's really sad and we shouldn't really, we, we shouldn't make fun of them. There, there's people who, as I mentioned, they want to go through sex changes. And if you look at the stats, even after the sex change, a lot of them are still committing suicide. But yet and still they have people patting them on their backs. Everything is going to be okay if you just do what you feel like doing. Many of them still committing suicide. Because it's just an outward change. Some people, they they think they're going to be in God's good graces by just changing what they do on the outside. I'm going to be more, quote unquote, religious. So some people do those types of things. But I have an animal in mind for people who who think they're going to change their whole lifestyle just just by changing the outward appearance and just by doing things on the outside. And the animal that I have in mind are are tigers. I, 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 they remind me of tigers because I just want to share a fact with you. And some of you may already know this. Is that even if you shave all of the fur off of a tiger, the stripes are actually on the skin. And so there's some people who are shaving metaphorically the fur off of the outward part of them. But but they can't change the stripes that are buried deep within just like that animal that we call the tiger. So in other words, the outward stuff. The outward appearance that they're working on all the time doesn't change who they are underneath. And Jesus would also, he would always get on top of the, of the Pharisees, the religious elite, because they would do things on the outside that made themselves look good. But Jesus knew that on the inside, that they were dead. On the outside, Jesus would say, you look like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside are dead men's bones. 
You look religious. You look like you're close to God on the outside, but on the inside, you're separated from God, spiritually dead. That's what Jesus was saying. So what is real transformation, which is the title of tonight's message? Well, real transformation or transformation that God is pleased with actually begins with the interchange. That is the renewing of our mind that we see in verse two. I want to submit to you that some of us make poor decisions and we believe the wrong things because our minds have not been renewed. Our minds are controlled by our sin nature. But those of us who receive Christ, who repented, Jesus Christ is our savior. The Bible tells us that we are a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's not always the case of of our experience. And the question I have is another animal in mind, maybe an insect. I want to know if you can imagine a butterfly, beautiful butterfly with wings and everything. But they still have a caterpillar mentality. Can you imagine that? Beautiful. Could fly. Don't have to be on the ground. But still have a caterpillar mentality. In other words, can you imagine a butterfly living below what it's able to do? What it has the potential to do? But how many Christians who are new creation in Christ in practice by experience are are living that way, are living with that caterpillar mentality. We we have all that we need as our at our disposal to live like the butterfly, to live, in other words, above the world, to live above the world system and to fly high, if you will, in in our relationship and fellowship with God. But yet and still, even some believers have the caterpillar mentality and will rather live below our capabilities, live below our potential in Christ. So, yes, some of us have that mentality. But can you imagine a real butterfly living in that way? So real transformation. What does it look like? We already talked about how it's not just an outward appearance, an outward change. We we talked about that it has to begin with an inward change, an inner change, a renewing of our mind. Of course, it's a process. It's from the inside out. But a perfect picture of what real transformation looks like is simply Jesus. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, the mind. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So some, it's not talking about Jesus robbing God the Father. If you look at the Greek word behind this English word robbery in the New King James Version, it means... A thing to be held fast, retained, 
or, or cling to. In other words, it, it's saying that, that Jesus being in the form of God and all his glory in heaven, he didn't consider holding on to his status to be equal with God the Father. Because if he did, he, he wouldn't have come down and become fully man as well. And in verse 7 it says, but made himself of no reputation. In other words, he set aside his divine privilege. He was still fully God. But, but some things he could do without a body. Now having a body, he limited himself. Willingly. Now he had to walk. Now he has to get on the boat. Oh, he could still work miracles and so forth. And there were some things that like, that he said he didn't know. He didn't know the day or the hour or something like that. That's, that's in his humanity. And so in Jesus, we see his divinity and humanity at times. We see that he got tired, that, that at the times he had to eat, he was hungry. As a matter of fact, even after his resurrection, he ate. He didn't need to, but he ate. He was able to do that, even in his glorified body. Matter of fact, it says the son of man, he didn't even have a place to lay his head at one point. And so this is this is God. This is the creator. This is the eternal son of God who made himself of no reputation. He didn't cling to his status of being equal with God, the father, but he submitted himself to the will of his father. And it says that he took the form of a bondservant. He he gave himself up, in other words, to another's will and coming in the likeness of men, a human nature but without a sin nature and being found in appearance as a man. It says he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so Jesus is that perfect example of what a transformed life for us should look like. It goes back to that old saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And so we look at that. We see that he was not selfish, that he was not full of pride. We see that he humbled himself. We see that he was obedient. We see these things. And so a perfect example of one who is transformed from the inside out. And how can we have our minds renewed? How can we do that? The first step is to be born again. We have to be born again. We're not born again. All we have is that old sin nature. And so you're wondering why people in the world just live a lifestyle of sin. That's because all they have is a sin nature. And so they need to be born again, receive a new nature from God. So that's step number one. We need to be born again. Number two, we have to download the word of God. Download it. In other words, read it daily basis. Take it in. It transforms us. It gives the Holy Spirit something to work with. Which brings us to our third point of how our minds could be renewed is to present our bodies. Going back to that, our whole selves to God as a living sacrifice. Because if that happens, then the Holy Spirit will now be able to have his way not only in us, but through us. There's a difference. In us is him doing the work, shaping us into the image of Christ. But through us, that's that overflow. 
That's what you see in Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit coming upon, equipping us to be effective witnesses, equipping us to be used by him in the work of the ministry. And I like what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. It's our last scripture of the night. 2 Corinthians 4.16, as the worship team takes the stage, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And as a result of our minds being renewed, if we really take another look at verse 2 in Romans 12, as a result of our renewed minds, we'll be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the word prove here means to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve, to deem worthy. But Darrell, can you bring that down just a little bit more? Well, what is it saying? It's saying, number one, if our minds are renewed, we'll, we'll be able to discover God's will. We'll be able to discover his purpose, his plan for our lives. We can't do that with minds that are run by our sin nature. We need renewed minds. We need the mind of Christ to see things from God's point of view. Then we'll be able to discover the purpose of God, the plan of God for our lives. That's what it's talking about. In the remaining words of Romans 12 too. But not only that, we'll also discover the quality of God's will or his plan for us. We will see that it is good, that it is acceptable or well-pleasing to God. We will also see that his plan, his purposes, his will is perfect. So the question is, are we going to present our bodies to God, all of us to him? So that he will have that opportunity to renew our minds so that we will know his plan and purposes for our lives. Is that something that we're going to do? By God's grace and by God's spirit, hopefully in our hearts, we said, I will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for being Worthy. You are worthy for us to present our bodies to you, to present our whole being to you. And I pray on behalf of every believer in this room who I pray are in agreement with this prayer that, Lord, you'll help us to be more like Jesus. That you help us, Lord, as our minds are renewed, to discover what you'll have us to do, to discover where you'll have us to go, to allow you to be glorified in our thoughts, our words, our actions. I pray for those tonight 
who are not experiencing your peace, your joy, even as believers. Lord, they're, they're out of Egypt spiritually, but still in the wilderness, not enjoying the victory and blessings of the promised land. So I pray, Lord, that they would right now take hold of all that you have for them. And myself included, take hold of everything, Lord, you have for us in Christ Jesus. I pray, Father, for, for those who had a bad day today, Lord. But they press through and they are here. They're hurting inside, but they're still smiling. They're hurting inside, but they're still shaking hands. Father, I pray for healing in their hearts, Lord. Healing, Lord, in their minds. Deliverance from any oppression of the enemy. I pray, Lord, for safety as we all go back home. You bless us with traveling grace. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming out. God bless you. God keep you. Um, thank the Lord once again for our worship team. Amen.